Well, in the musical Les Mis, uh, Fantine sings a song called I Dreamed a Dream. In it, she reflects how in her younger years she fell in love with a rich and handsome student, only to be abandoned by him, leaving her pregnant and alone. And as she looks back on the, the hardships of her life, she sadly sings, Now life has killed the dream I dreamed, and I prayed that God would be forgiving. I think there are many here this morning that can relate to Fantine. I think that some of us here can say whether it's because of situations that seem out of our control or mistakes that we've made, that we find ourselves sometimes swept up in the storms of life. Sometimes we find ourselves floundering in a pit where our dreams have been crushed. As we turn in our Bible today to Genesis chapter 37, we're going to see where Joseph shared some dreams that he had only to find those dreams seemingly derailed as he was seized by his brothers and he was thrown into a pit. And in the darkness of that pit, not only were Joseph's dreams in jeopardy, but so too was his very life. And yet as we're going to see today, as well as in the weeks ahead, as we walk with Joseph through this journey that follows this situation, he's going to find that even though everything looked hopeless, God was at work. God was at work taking those difficult things to accomplish something that was far greater than any dream that Joseph thought he could ever have. As we look at the opening verses here in Genesis 37, we see a family that's torn apart by favoritism and dysfunction. If you were here last week, you'll recall we walked through all that is involved here. In verses 2 through 4, we're told, Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers, while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him and more than all the brothers, and so they hated him, and they could not even speak to him on friendly terms. Now, we see that there's no love lost between the brothers. And part of the problem is that there are four moms that are in the house. We talked about this last week, the family tree. And you remember that there are four mothers with multiple sons through each of these different mothers. Now, my kids will sometimes say to me, Dad, which one of us is your favorite? And they all smile at me. And I will look at them and I will say, Sarah is my favorite Sarah, Hannah is my favorite Hannah, and Zachary is my favorite Zachary. And they go, come on, Dad, which one? And I go and repeat it again. Well, in the family we're reading about here, no one had to ask. Everybody knew who the favorite was. It was Joseph. Everybody knew that this was, this was Dad's number one. And verse 4 says, they take out their hurt feelings on Joseph. When we read that they could not speak friendly on friendly terms to him, what the Hebrew text literally says is they could not say shalom, the word that means peace, a greeting, a blessing. They could not even say shalom to their brother. Now, I've got three kids, as you just heard, and there are times that the way they interact, it's like the opening line from A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You know, there are times that kids are loving and cuddling, and the next moment they're at war with each other. Well, in Joseph's family, it was an all-out and sustained war. There was never a time of peace for him. They hated him so badly, they could not even say a single word that was nice to him. And in verse 2, we see Joseph doesn't help the matter. 
because it says he brought back a bad report about them to his father. Now, when we read that Joseph brought back a bad report, the way that the, the Hebrew word that is used here typically carries a negative connotation. It can be something that is true, but most often it is, it is a negative thing. It's translated as slander in Psalm thirty-one, thirteen. This word is defamation in Jeremiah twenty, ten, and Ezekiel thirty-six, three uh, uses it to describe malicious talk. In the past, we've talked about the acronym of think. Some of you will remember if you take T H I N K, it stands for is this truthful? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And even if what Joseph was saying was true, we see he was unkind in how he presented the information. And he possibly embellished uh, the shortfalls of his brothers in order to get back at them. Now, the bad blood between them gets even worse because Jacob then gives him a special robe. You hear many people call it the coat of many colors. The, the Hebrew word that is actually used here in Genesis 37.3 is pasim. And what that word is used to describe are the wrists and the ankles of a person. And so what we're told here is this is a long robe that would have come to the, the, the wrist and flowing down to the floor to his ankles. Now, this word is used in 2 Samuel thirteen eighteen to refer to a long-sleeved royal garment. This was a very special, ornate, uh, fancy robe that was... Uh, for the high society. And it showed not only the position, Joseph's status in the family is the favored one, but it also showed what his father thought about Joseph's involvement in the day-to-day work life of the family. Men in that day typically wore uh, a sleeveless tunic that was fairly short, and that's so that it wouldn't get in the way as they worked. Uh, Seeing Joseph walking around the field in this robe would be like us putting on a tuxedo to go dig a ditch. It's very clear we're not going to be doing any work. And so Joseph was being uh, removed from the manual labor that the other brothers had to do. Now, just when it looks like things can't get any worse, look at verses 5 through 8. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. If that's possible, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheave rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves all gathered around and bowed down to my sheave. Now, the brothers know what the story, the dream means. They said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, in in the midst of this volatile relationship with his brothers, Joseph pours fuel on the fire. As he wears his robe, he says, look, everybody knows I'm my father's favorite. But now you need to know that I'm God's favorite. That God has put me over you guys. Now, remember, we read Joseph is 17 years old at this point. Most of us can think back to the time when we were 17 and how we knew everything. And uh, Joseph is a guy who is fairly brash in life. Uh, At this point, he was a normal adolescent. He was destined for great things. God had made that clear, and yet Joseph was getting in the way with his ego. Joseph was a guy who liked to show off. He liked to uh, show people uh, who he was. He proudly shared his dreams. He wore this loud, exclusive uh, garment everywhere that he went. 
He not only uh, was proud, but he lacked discernment in what to share. And it may be that there is someone here today, maybe many of us, who are like Joseph, where we are very capable. And we have, have a lot of runway ahead of us where God says there are many great things you can do in your life, but sometimes we get in our own way whether it's through our pride, rather, whether it's through a lack of discernment in what we share. We're, we're just like the Joseph that we see here. And we get on everyone's nerves and everyone's blacklist. There was a story that was told of, of two brothers. They grew up together on a farm. Now, one of the, the brothers left the farm and he went to the city. He went to college and then on to law school. He uh, ended up getting a job in a very prominent law firm and rose to the status of partner while the other brother remained behind and ran the farm. And one day the, the lawyer comes home and he's there with his brother, the country bumpkin as he uh, thought of him. And he said to him, you know, why don't you go out and, and do something with your life? Why don't you make a name for yourself like I have so you can hold your head up high? Now the farmer, the other brother, was leaning against the porch rail and, and he said to his brother, he says, do you see that field of weed out there? And he says, yeah, so what? He said, I want you to look closely at it. He said, do you notice how the stalks of grain that are standing straight up, those are the ones where the the heads are empty, but the ones that are full, they bow low to the ground. (laughs) You know, as we're going through this story of Joseph's life, at this point, he's one who's holding his head up high. He's very proud. But what we're going to see is that God is at work in this young man's life where he's going to shrink his head and he's going to grow his heart. And through the hard things that are happening, what God is doing is preparing this young man for a time where he will be in the palace. If you read ahead to the story, you will find that at one point, Joseph becomes the number two man in the entire nation of Egypt. He is Pharaoh's right-hand man who rolls and runs the whole nation But he was not yet ready for that role. God had to rub off the the rough edges in his life. Things were needed before God could raise him to a place of prominence and power. And God may be doing that in some of our lives as well. The scriptures tell us as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And if you've ever watched steel get sharpened, the sparks fly. And there are times that God has to bring things in our life to rub off some of those things that don't belong or to, to sharpen us. You know, the Bible gives us the image of, of God being the potter and we're the clay. And if you've ever worked with clay, you know when it's soft and, and pliable, it's much easier to work with. When it gets hardened, uh, sometimes that, that vessel has to be shattered in order to, to remold it. And God sometimes has to do that in our own lives as well when we become hard. Verses 9 through 11 tell us, Now Joseph had still another dream, and he related it to his brothers. And he said, lo, I've had still another dream. And they're going, we can hardly wait, Joseph. (laughs) And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother, the sun and the moon, the brothers are the 11 stars. He said, what is this dream you've had? Shall your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this saying in mind. Now, just when we think things cannot get any worse, Joseph shows insensitivity on a massive scale. He already saw what his first dream did. And so he comes and he says, hey, hey, I I have another dream. Now, this caused his father to give a rare rebuke to his favorite son. 
And yet as he does this, we're told in Genesis thirty-seven eleven that he kept this saying in mind. You know, the Bible tells us that when Mary, the mother of Jesus, was hearing things about her baby boy, it says she treasured these up in her heart. She pondered them. And I think as Jacob is hearing this, he's, he's, he's a little upset at what his son says, but then he says, what, what does this mean? I mean, you recall that Jacob was in the line of the Abrahamic covenant. Last time as we talked about the family structure, we talked about how God had made this covenant with Abraham saying, you will be the father of the nation that I have chosen. The Jews is my people. And Abraham through Sarah had Isaac and Isaac then had Jacob who was renamed Israel. And it is from this line, it is from Jacob's sons that one of these will be the, where the line of promise is carried through. Now, Jacob had all his hopes and dreams on Joseph. He said, Joseph is the one. But as we know from reading the scriptures, God said, no, the line will come through Judah. The line of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, would actually be carried through Judah, not Joseph. But at this moment, Jacob is treasuring these things up and he's saying, what does it mean? Now, in verses 12 through 17, we're told, And his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. And then he said to him, Go now and see on, check on the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now, if you were here last time, you'll recall that we saw all the tragedy associated with Shechem. Do you remember that? It's where Jacob bought land. It's where he established his family when he was supposed to have gone on to Bethel, the house of God. And we saw all that happened where his his daughter Dinah was raped. And then where two of his sons uh, sought revenge by massacring the men of the city and then plundering the city and carrying away the women and children themselves. Shechem wasn't the kind of place that you felt good about as a family. There was a lot of bad things that had happened there. And for the boys to now be back in that area, uh, you can see why Jacob is a little worried. And so he says to Joseph, I want you to make sure everything is okay. Go and bring back word as to what is happening. Now, as Joseph makes a journey from Hebron to, to check on his brothers, uh, you can see what he thinks his role is because we're told he puts on his royal robe. He doesn't put on his work boots and, and clothing for the field. He makes a 50-mile journey from Hebron to Shechem, and when he arrives, he finds that they've moved on from there to Dothan, to a place that is 15 miles farther away. He, he, bumps, he just happens to bump into a man. Again, we're going to see God's province through the whole story. And he says, oh, your brothers have moved on 15 further miles. Now, Joseph could have just come home and said, Dad, I went to Shechem, couldn't find him. But we see his diligence. Now, if you make notes in your Bible, you can make a footnote here and put Exodus 13, 19. Because this will be the last time that Joseph ever sees the land of Canaan while he's alive. Joseph, as he leaves to go and check on his brothers, will never again return to Canaan. Because ultimately he will end up in Egypt where he will die. And the people of Israel will spend 400 years in captivity under the Egyptians before they carry the bones of Joseph back during the Exodus. So it will be 430 years before Joseph returns back to the land that he's leaving right here. 
Now the story picks up in verses 18 through 24, and it says, When they saw him, Joseph, from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast has devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben, now Reuben is the oldest of all the brothers. He's the firstborn of Leah. He's the oldest of all the brothers. It says he heard this and he rescued him out of their hands. And he said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit, that, this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him. And then we see a side note that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and they threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Now here's Joseph. He's, he's coming along way in the distance, and there, there's no way they could miss him because remember, he's wearing this neon multicolored robe. So they're going, well, here he comes. And as Joseph approaches, he's been journeying, remember, 50 miles to Shechem, another 15 to Dothan. He's been on the road a long time. And you would, hospitality in that culture dictated you would welcome even a stranger. You would sit them down, you would feed them, you would give them drink. But as Joseph comes into the camp, there's no greeting. There's no drink of water offered. Instead, they grab him and they begin to beat him up. And they throw him to the ground and they strip him of this hated robe, this thing that poured salt in their wounds every time they saw it because it reminded them, you're daddy's favorite. Now, when it says they stripped him of his robe, the, the language, the original language here is very violent. It, it is words that are used to describe the skinning of an animal. I mean, they just claw and tear this off him, probably ripping flesh and everything with it as they tear it off him. Joseph is now naked. And they throw him into a cistern. A cistern was either a well or a cave-like structure that had been lined with clay in order to uh, hold the water when the rainy seasons were there. Now, we're told it was empty, which is a good thing because as he drops 20, 30 feet, whatever it is, down to the bottom of this hole, he would have drowned in this deep hole. So he hits bottom. He, he's down there. Uh, and, and what we're going to read further in the story on another day in chapter 42, the brothers will recall this incident. And at that moment, they will say, did Joseph not plead for his life? They remember it. They remember the terror, the fear of their brother. He's down in this pit. He's naked. He's shivering, not just from cold, but from fear. And how do the brothers respond? Look at verse 25. His brother sat down and ate lunch. Now, it's hard to imagine the cold-hearted cruelty that would allow them to do this. But I want you to think about your own life for a moment. Has there ever been a, a hurt in your life that is so deep, a hatred for somebody that is, that is so hard that you could see yourself doing something like this? That this, this hatred that, that just hardens our hearts and it takes over. Now, as they're eating, the text says they see a caravan of Ishmaelite traders coming. Now, again, God brings all these stories together. Do you remember where the Ishmaelites come from? Way back when you had... Uh, Sarah and Abraham and Hagar had a son and through that line, the Arabs come and this, this was Ishmael's line. So now you have the, the offspring of the chosen line merging with the offspring of the line that was pushed away and they're going to be the slave traders. They're going to take Joseph. 
Because as this is happening, Judah says, hey, rather than kill our brother, let's just sell Joseph into slavery. Why why should we have this guilty conscience? He'll probably die there anyway, but it's not going to be on us. We didn't kill him. And they end up getting 20 pieces of, uh, 20 shekels of silver in the process. Now, verses 29 through, tell us, 29 through 30 tell us, now Reuben returned to the pit. We don't know where Reuben went. When all this happens, remember the, the side note that said Reuben was going to try to rescue Joseph? So maybe he's off making preparation. He's getting a rope together. He's making a uh, plan to travel back. So Reuben returns. He wasn't part of all this uh, that happens. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit. He looks in the hole. He calls out to him. And it says that he tore his garments. Now, tearing your garments was a sign of deep mourning. He's very upset. He returns to his brothers and he said, the boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? Now, as we're reading this story, we may think, well, you know, of all the 11 brothers, Reuben's the good guy, right? I mean, here's Reuben saying, hey, you know, I hate him too, but let's not kill him. And we, we see, maybe you think some love as he rips his clothing in mourning. He's saying Joseph is gone. But the grieving here isn't for Joseph, it's for himself. And the reason I tell you that is if you flip back a few pages to Genesis chapter 35 and verse 22, you see this little note. Genesis 35, 22 tells us, it came about while Israel was dwelling in that land that Reuben went in and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Do you remember the four mothers in the house? Reuben's the oldest through Leah. One of the concubines, the the slaves that were given, the servant to Abraham who becomes a mom, he has an adulterous relationship with one of his father's other wives. Now, the text doesn't give us any indication this was a lustful encounter. Remember, there was such hatred and animosity in the home. This was probably rebellion. This was Reuben in a a fit of rage one day saying, I'm going to get back at you, Dad. And he went in and he went to bed with his, his father's concubine. You have this adulterous, incestuous situation. In Israel, as we saw, Jacob was a very passive father. It won't be until the time when the blessings are given to the boys that Jacob ever says anything about it to his son. Now, Reuben knew from that point on the relationship, what there was, was broken. In this house where all these walls were already up, there is this impenetrable wall that goes up between Reuben and his father. And as this situation happens, as Joseph comes and the brothers are going to, you know, kill him and they're going to do all these things, Reuben says, here's my chance for redemption. If I rescue the favored son of my father, the relationship will have to be restored. Dad will have to at least say, okay, son, we'll talk again. We'll be back on decent terms. If not, you're on my good side. So as Reuben comes to the hole to rescue his brother and sees that he's gone, he rips his clothing in mourning because he says, that's it. My only hope of ever getting back on dad's good side is gone. Now verses 31 through 35 tell us, so they took Joseph's tunic. Remember when they stripped him of this robe? And they slaughtered a male goat and they dipped the tunic in the blood. And they they sent the very colored tunic and they brought it to their father. Again, see the coldness of the relationship. They go into their dad and they say, we found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Now, they don't technically lie, do they? Remember how this family was good at deception? Hey, we found this. Does it look familiar? 
Then he examined it and he said, it's my son's tunic. And Jacob makes the only uh, conclusion he can. He says, a wild beast has devoured him. Joseph was in the field alone. He was attacked. He's been shredded. The blood is his. He was eaten. Surely, Joseph has been torn to pieces, it says. So Jacob tears his clothes. And he put on sackcloth on his loins. And he mourned for his son many days. Then all the sons and daughters arose and comforted him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning over my son. So his father wept for him. Here we see the same seared conscience that lets them eat lunch while their brother is crying out uh, for mercy. Their dad is in immense grief. They're watching their father cry and grovel in the dirt and mourn and saying, I'm going to die. My grief is so bad. And it says, they comfort him. It's okay, dad. You still have the rest of us, right? Now, in this story, we see that it's, it's one that's filled with awful things, isn't it? Hatred, violence, betrayal, rejection, deception. And as we look at this, this is really the story of the world we live in, isn't it? Maybe not at the same level, but we live in a world where we see these things happening each and every day all around us. It's the consequences that come when people choose to do evil and sin. There is suffering in spades. It goes around to everybody, even the brothers with their hardened heart. Remember later when they are uh, there in the palace and they're worried about their own skin, we're going to see where they start remembering this. And they're saying, don't you remember when this is our fault? When we did this to our brother, remember how he was crying for mercy? And while they're worried about themselves, you you see they've been carrying this guilt all along. Now, the the grief of of Jacob is, is, is clear. He's, he's there in pain. And, and what about Joseph? We're not told about him, but we can only imagine. He's, he's now been sold to, to slave traders. He's alone. He knows he's so hated by his family, he's been rejected. He's been carried away to a future that he doesn't know. He's been separated from his dad, stripped of everything. Now, as all this is happening, I want you to notice how God slips a glimmer of hope into our story. Because look at verse 36. Meanwhile, if you write in your Bibles, underline that word meanwhile. Meanwhile, the Midianites, these are the slave traders, sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. As all this horrible stuff is happening, we read, meanwhile, Joseph just happens to be headed to Egypt and just happens to be sold to Potiphar, who just happens to be Potiphar's key official, the bodyguard, the cupbearer to the king, the right-hand guy, where Joseph will begin to get the training in Potiphar's home, figuring out how you function in a royal court, how he needs to be trained in order to be in the palace himself one day. In that one verse, we're given a glimpse of how God is at work. You see, Joseph doesn't see it yet. Now, we have the benefit today of being able to read ahead in the story, don't we? We're, we're able to, to look at this story and know what is coming and to see the redemption that is there. But what we need to remember is, for many of us today, we're in the pit. We're in the midst of some hopeless situation as we look up out of that dark hole and we're, we're trying to see even a glimmer of light, a glimmer of hope. What we need to do is we need to write the word, meanwhile across our own life story. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, God is at work, right? Meanwhile, in our own situation, 
We can know that even though we don't understand what is happening, even though we don't like what is happening, God has a plan and a purpose for our life. And God's plans and purposes will be fulfilled. Even in those darkest nights of of our soul, in those times where we've been the one who made the mess, where we say, look, I deserve everything that is happening, and we're in the darkest part of the night, we have the promise of God's word that says his, new, his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And we're able to say right now I'm in the deepest, darkest part of the, the night watch where things look hopeless. But we need to remember that God says the sun will come up and my mercies will be there for you. That's what Joseph found. I mean, how quickly do you think things would have changed for Joseph if, if God had showed up and said, there in the midst of the pit, an angel had, had suddenly appeared next to Joseph and he said, listen, quit screaming, quit worrying. Let, let, let me tell you how this ends. I'm going to line out the story for you, Joseph. I know right now you're, you're scared. You think you're going to die, but listen, you're not going to die. Now, you're, you're probably not going to like how your rescue comes about because what it means is you're going to be sold as a slave to this caravan of Ishmaelites that is passing by. But there's a reason for that. You see, because God needs to get you to Egypt. Now, God doesn't cause evil or sin in the world. The scriptures are very clear of that. God could have gotten Joseph there any other way. But in the midst of the the sin of his brothers, God says, I'm going to use this to redeem it. So you're on your way to Egypt. And there's a reason I've got to get you there. Now you could be sold into any number of situations. You're a young, healthy, strapping man, but guess what? I've got a guy who's going to buy you and his name's Potiphar. And he's an official in Pharaoh's court. And you're not going to understand everything, but you see, you know, you're going to have some of these rough things in your life shaved off in the process, but you're going to, you're going to grow. You're going to learn things as you work for Potiphar and you're going to be elevated. But as you serve and are faithful and you're obedient, here's the deal. There's going to be someone else's sin. You see, it's his wife. She's going to try to sleep with you. And you are going to be a man of integrity. And you're not going to do it. And what's going to be your reward, Joseph? (laughs) Well, you're going to get falsely accused. And you're going to get thrown in a prison. Now, again, I know it's not how you would write the story, Joseph, but God has the blueprint. And there's a reason you're going to be in the prison. You see, because there's two officials of Pharaoh that are going to be in that prison too at some point. And they're going to need to know who you are because they're going to need to tell Pharaoh at the right moment so that I can get you into the palace. Now, Joseph, they're going to forget about you. You're going to spend years there in the prison, again, being very faithful. Faithful and little uh, will be rewarded in much, the scriptures tell us. So, Joseph, I'm going to be working on you. I have this 10-year development plan, but it's not the career track any of you would have chosen, right? It's like when you go to work at a company and they say, well, start in the mailroom and you're thinking, but I want to be the CEO. And they say, well, you know, we don't work that way here. You got to go through this process. And so Joseph, you know, again, it's not the way you would write the story, but uh, remember to write meanwhile across your life because God's at work. And so they're going to forget about you, but then one day there's going to be a dream, Pharaoh's dream, and he's going to need you. And in an instant, when you feel forgotten, boom, you're the guy. I'm going to bring you to the palace, and you're going to be elevated to the number two spot. Do you like the way the story turns out? And Joseph says, yeah, let's just get to the end. And he says, well, no, no. See, there's a process. Right now, some of you are in the pit. Right now, some of you are hopeless. 
Right now, some of you are facing very difficult things. They make no sense to you. And you're saying, what is this? And what God says is, I am at work. And if, if I could just whisper into your situation, if I could just tell you how this turns out, it would change everything, wouldn't it? But friends, God rarely works that way. The Bible says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It gives us just enough light sometimes for the next step. And God says, do you trust me? Will you put your hand in mine in the darkness? Will you take one more step with me? Because that's all I'm going to give you is, is the next step. And by faith and trust, you have to hold on to me. You have to step out with me. You know, there are many hard things that have happened in my life. And, and there are times in the midst of them, I said, this is a mess. God, what are you doing? I don't like this. It makes no sense to me. And, and now further along in my life, I can look back sometimes and I can go, oh, okay. Again, like Joseph, that's not the way I would have written the story, God, but okay. I see what you did. I see how when you put me in the furnace, you burned off the dross. You got rid of the junk. You purified me. You, you tempered me and made me more uh, useful to you. Do you remember when we went through the book of James and we saw how God takes us through trials and tribulations to refine us, to make us choice, to make us ready for the next thing? There are so many things in my life that I never would have chosen, but I can look back in some cases and say, I understand, or at the very least, I see God, how you've used this in a way in my life to make me able to better minister to others that I never could have done if I didn't have that experience in my life. And the same is true with each and every one of you. The scriptures tell us in Corinthians to comfort one another with the comfort we've received. When we go through a unique situation, a hard thing in our life, what God says is I have now prepared you and elevated you to be a person that can be used in the lives of others through what you've walked through. But sometimes God doesn't give us the end of the story because the story is still being written. And in those times, it's easy for us to feel like God has forgotten us or he's unfair. But what we need to remember in those times is the story of our lives is not over. As we look at all the hard things Joseph is facing here, as well as what we're going to see in the weeks ahead, it will come together. Ultimately, because in Genesis chapter 50, in verse 20, Joseph will, as he looks at his brothers, one day he's there going about his business in the palace and what happens? But his brothers come in and they bow to the ground in front of him. Do you think all those dreams came flooding back at that moment? Oh, yeah. God said this would happen. And as he's ultimately restored with his brothers and they're, they're together and they're shaking in fear saying, please don't kill us like we were going to kill you. Joseph says these words in Genesis fifty twenty: You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You see, the story of Joseph reminds us that God is at work often in ways we cannot see or we can, can't even comprehend. And if you're in the midst of the darkness right now, I want you to remember the story of Joseph. To remember that God is at work even when you don't know. Now, maybe you're saying, yeah, but you know what, Roger? Joseph at least had some dreams. God gave him a dream and said, hey, I, I have this plan for you. And, and I've never had a dream. You know, I haven't either. But you know what? I have something much better than Joseph's dreams, and so do you. It's called the Bible. 
is called the Word of God because in here, we not only get to see how stories turn out, but we get to see the plans, the purposes, and the promises of God. And maybe you've never had a direct dream from God, but you have plenty of promises. Promises like Philippians 1.6 that says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God says, hey, I have promises for you. Promises like Hebrews 13.5 where God says, I will never desert you nor forsake you. We have Romans 8.28 where we're told, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Remember, Joseph, all this evil, God brought it together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What is God's purpose for us? People ask that question all the time. Roger, what is God's purpose for my life? Well, it's there in Romans eight twenty nine, where it says that it is to be conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. The hard things that God brings us through are to make us to look more like his son. Jesus went to the cross. He was beaten. He was bloodied. He suffered affliction. He went through horrible things. Why? To save and redeem us. And friends, if we want to look like Christ, why do we want to be excused from the afflictions, the sufferings, the hard things that he went through? In the old days when a a goldsmith would purify metal, the way that they would test the purity of the metal is as it went into the fire and the dross was burned away and they, they would watch the liquefied gold. And when the goldsmith could see his face reflected in the metal, he knew it was ready to come out of the fire. And that's what the scriptures say to us. There are times God has us in the fire and he is watching to see, do we reflect his son? Have we been conformed to what God wants his son to look like in our lives? And then he takes us out of the fire. The process involves things we don't like, adversity, difficulty, and suffering. Joseph wouldn't have chosen any of those things if he had a vote. But without those things, he wouldn't have been prepared to be the guy who is not only elevated into the palace, but there for the purpose of saving his family during the famine that was coming, as well as the the entirety of the known world at the time. As we're talking about this amazing story of Joseph, there's one that is even bigger and more amazing in terms of what God's plan and purpose is, where it makes no sense at the time to those who were watching it, but it makes perfect sense now. And it is one that ended up saving the entirety of mankind if they would turn from their sin into Jesus. Jesus is a lot like Joseph. Now, he was perfect. He was sinless, unlike this young man. But remember that when Jesus came, he was initially rejected by his brothers as well. They said, he's, he's crazy. He, he too was sold as a slave by one of his disciples who turned him over to the religious leader, sold him for the slave's price of silver. He was one that also went into a pit, a prison where he was beaten, bloodied. And he didn't suffer only alone. He was then put up on a cross where he publicly was humiliated. He too, like Joseph, was stripped of a royal robe. And he was crucified. And people walked by and they mocked him. Oh, yeah, you're, you're the Messiah. Come down. They said, Joseph, you're the big dreamer. Let's see how your dreams turn out. And Jesus died. He died to ultimately save all of mankind. He was put in that place for a purpose, to save me and you, to be the payment for our sins. 
The story is, of Joseph is certainly powerful on its own, but when we see it through the lens of the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, it is that much greater. And as we end today, I want, you to, I, I want to leave you with a final picture of what it means for us to trust God even in the midst of the darkness. This was during the terrible days of the Blitzkrieg when Hitler was bombing London. There were these relentless uh, nighttime raids where the whole city was being blanketed by bombs. And there was a father who was in his apartment building when that building was struck by a bomb and it was set on fire. And the father grabbed his young son by the hand and they went running out of the building because it was on fire. And as they ran outside, there were still bombs falling all around. The father knew they had to find shelter immediately. And as the buildings were burning all around, he could see a huge crater there in the courtyard where another bomb had exploded. And the father runs up. He he puts his young son right on the edge of the hole and he leaps into the darkness And he hits the bottom and he stands up and he turns around and and looking at his son who's up on the edge, he says to his son, jump, jump in here where you'll be safe. And this little boy is terrified. There are bombs blowing up all around. There are buildings burning. He's looking down into this darkness, a hole where he can't see anything, but he can hear his father's voice. And the father is saying, jump, I'll catch you. And the little boy is terrified and he says, but daddy, I can't see you. Now, the father, as he looks up against uh, the burning backdrop, he sees his son silhouetted and he says, but son, I can see you jump. And the little boy trusts his father and he jumps into the darkness of the hole where he is caught safely by his father. Some of you this morning are standing on the edge of a hole and all you can see is darkness. And what God says to us today is if you will step out in faith, if you will believe that I am there and I will catch you and I will take care of you, if you, if you believe that I'm who I say I am and that I have your well-being in mind and I have your story written, if you will just step out in faith, I will catch you and I will carry you through this. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do so today. There is a chasm of sin that separates us from God. And God provided the bridge, the cross of Christ that has been laid down over that. In John fourteen six, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he says, if you will step out onto the cross in faith, I will carry you across that separation, the thing that keeps you from me, because my son came to pay the penalty of death for you, a plan that made no sense to the disciples, the religious leaders, anybody else, but God knew. He wasn't taken by surprise. He knew what the plan was. And he said, I provided my son for you to be your way home. God offers that to you and me today. And for the rest of us who have received that great gift, God says to us today, when you can't see the next step, trust my word. Know that I am there. Know that I will never leave you or forsake you. Know that I have a plan for you and I will fulfill it in your life. Will you join me please as we close in prayer? Lord God, in those times where we don't know what's going on, where we can't see the next step, we thank you that you see us and you know us and you know our need. You you know the greatest need any of us would have, which was for a savior. And you gave your son to be that payment, to take our place, to pay that penalty of death in order to save not just all of mankind, but me. 
me as an individual, you knew my name as you hung on the cross. You knew my need and you came for me. And so today, God, I want to take your great gift. I want to accept that gift of new life. Thank you for loving me. As I turn from my sin today, as I turn from my hopeless situations that I may find myself in, where I, where I don't know what to do, I thank you that you're there and I can trust you. And so I'm stepping off into the darkness and I thank you that you're there to catch me. Father, for the rest of us here who already know you, at times we don't always understand how you work, but we know you're at work through the story of Joseph. We see how your plans, your purposes, and your promises will be fulfilled no matter what others do to get in the way, no matter what uh, hard things can happen in our life, you are capable of taking those and redeeming them. So thank you, God. Thank you that I can trust you. Today, Lord, I give my hard things to you. I give the hopeless situation, my shattered dreams to you, and I ask that you would take and you would restore, uh, restore them, redeem them, and use them in greater ways than I could ever imagine. I pray these things in the name of my precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are prayer leaders at the front. If you need somebody to speak with you, to pray with you today, we'd love to do that. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.